Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. So um, it's good to be here and to be here in, in person. I am um, just a little bit about myself, just so you know who it is who's, who's speaking to you besides the director of ministry. So, so I came to faith when I was 26. It was, a, it was a sort of like a sort of a unique encounter with God and in, 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 it changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and same with my wife. Um, at the, at the, um, she was my wife at the time and still is uh, now. Uh, now. Um, and, we, and we just really, it was it just encountering Jesus just changed our, our total life altogether. And um, I worked as an electrical linesman, but after a couple of years of, of being a Christian there, I, I went into Bible college. I started working in a little church down in Narry Warren as a church plant, as the interim pastor there. Uh, then went to, uh, on the team at New Hope, which is a large suburban church in Melbourne, and uh, was there for 10 and a half years as a senior associate pastor. And then over to Essendon Baptist, where I was a senior pastor. And for the last 10 years, I've been Director of uh, Mission Ministry for the Baptist Union of, of Victoria. Um, I have one son, he's 23, not at home, and so it's a good life for, for us <laughs> right, at, right at the moment. Um, as, the, as the Director of, of, of Ministries, I get around, mostly, supposedly, get around to a lot of churches, but even when I'm not getting around the churches, I'm talking to church leaders and pastors and, and, and a range of people engaged in church, in church life. And part of my role is to share vision, uh, with, with the church and the vision of the Baptist Union is that we would be a union of flourishing churches, that, that churches would be really yet, yet blooming and being the best expression of the church that they could possibly be. And we think that's a vision that all churches can flourish, whether you're big or small in the city, the country, uh, a, a rural city like this one or a tiny little country town. We can flourish in our own way um, in, in which we, we can best, we're best equipped to do so. So we want to see our, our, the churches of our union flourish we want to see them filled with Christ-like disciples, and we want to see our churches um, redeeming society or joining in with God's redemptive work in the world. Another way to say it is that we want to partner with God in advancing his kingdom uh, in, in, in this world. So that's our, that's our vision. We go around and I share that, share that vision. And as I get around uh, to our churches and be that, be that in person, especially struggling in the last couple of years, I get to see that that that. that there's a lot of um, unique things about our churches, but there are some things that we have that, that, that form a bit of a pattern that seems to be fairly obvious about Baptist churches uh, that I've learned over my 10 years in the role that, I'm, that I do now. And they would be, that, firstly, the diversity. 
the diversity in our Baptist Union is quite amazing. It is quite amazing, you know, we, from, from, from size of churches to worship style to theology to, you know, like how we meet. Uh, and that's even changed again in the last two years in how we meet uh, in, in different ways. And I think it, there will be some repercussions from that and churches will continue to meet different, in different ways in the, in, the next, in the next little while. So great diversity across our union of churches. A heart for mission. Baptist people have a heart for mission. We have a heart to engage in the community. We have a heart to, to see people encounter Jesus and, to, and to, for, for them to understand what a rich blessing that is in, in their life. And I see this right across our, our union. Uh, resource challenge. Uh, pretty much regardless of what church I visit, whether that's a, a mega church of like Crossway or, or big church like New Hope with a couple thousand people in those churches or tiny little church, doesn't matter. They never have enough money. They never have enough people. They never have enough space to do all the things they want, they want to do. See, because the vision, usually in Baptist churches I'm finding, big or small church, the vision outweighs the resources outweighs what we've actually got. We need more and we need to rely on God more to be able to do the things that we believe that God wants us to do. And I see this across our union. I also see that there are snippets of cooperation across our, our union where, we, we, where we, we know that, hey, in order to do all the things we want to do, we have to work with others. We have to work with other churches. We have to work with the Baptist Union. We have to work uh, to get things done that we need to get Done. So different expressions of church life, a heart for mission, struggle to do all the things that we want to do and have the resources for that, and snippets of cooperation. This morning I want to focus on the third aspect of our, of our vision of you know, joining in God's redemptive work, the advancing the kingdom, the kingdom of God together, and, and, and how we can fulfil our desire to impact our, our community with the love of Christ. How can we overcome our resource, resource challenge and do all the things that God intends for us to do as the church. And today, the good news I have for you is that the God we worship this morning, the God we sing songs to and about this morning, is a God who's able to do immeasurably more than we asked or imagined, as was read for us. Let's read just that again. Now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That passage is what we call a doxology. A doxology is, is basically a hymn or a song of praise to God that says something profound uh, about God. Uh, the context, of course, is that the doxology comes as the conclusion of Paul's great prayer for the Ephesian church where he prays that they would be strengthened with power, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would be rooted in love and that they would know the measure of the fullness of God in their, in their life and existence. And it concludes them with these words that, and, and basically saying that the God who is in your midst, the God whom you worship, the God who... Is, is there with you in the, in the difficulties and the challenges and the struggles of life. He is with you and he's able to take you through them. He's able, in fact, to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. I'd like you to think of some kind of challenge that you may be facing in your life. 
Think of a situation, a struggle, where it's hard to see a way forward. I think we all have those. Could be something in your personal life, family, health, witness, work. Can you think of something? Well, the doxology is saying that God is able. He's able to do more in that situation than you can imagine. He, he's able to take you through those challenges. In that sense, the doxology is a song of hope. It's an affirmation of faith. But what we need to understand is that whilst we can certainly apply the passage to ourselves and our personal situations, the book of Ephesians was most likely a circular letter that was written to a group of churches in, 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 in Southwest Asia Minor, what we sort of modern day Turkey today. And the most prominent city in that region at the time was Ephesus. Right? And so that wins the title of the book, of the, of, of the letter. Right? But it's to the churches of that region. As if Paul was writing to the churches of the northeast of Victoria, he would, he would probably title it Wangaratta, wouldn't he? Because this is the, this is the epicenter of, of the northeast. So he would write to the churches of Wangaratta. But he would be meaning not just your church. He'd be meaning all the churches in this region. And the inference I want to make is this. It's not just about our one church. It's about the movement of God in the world. It's about his church. It's our, our movement today, not just your church, but even our whole Baptist movement and beyond that. And, and when you think about the Baptist movement with our great diversity, the autonomy, the strong sense of autonomy that we have in our churches, a heart for mission and desire to engage uh, engage with the community, and even with our resource challenges, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's awesome. That's, that's the awesome promise and hope that we have as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ. But there's a catch. There's always a catch, isn't there? God knows what's best for us. And from what I can understand, what I've experienced, we understand from the Bible, what I've experienced in my, in my life of faith, is that God is, tends not to be a handout God, but more of a, 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 a hand up God, gives us a hand up. And so throughout scripture, God is always inviting his people, you and I, to journey with him, to trust him, to uh, participate in partnering in advancing his kingdom. It's not just like he advances the kingdom, he invites us to be his hands and feet in relation to advancing the kingdom, in particular in the journey uh, to work, working through and overcome struggles and challenges of our corporate life together in the church. So the promise then of the doxology is twofold. Firstly, it tells us that God is able. God is able. He can do immeasurably more than we ask him. And he works in us and he works through us. Now we come to the dilemma if this is true, if this is really true, why don't we experience the power of God more in our life and our church? Why do we struggle to fulfill vision and our heart's desire to truly impact the, the, the community for Christ? Why, especially the church in the West, the Western world, why are we seemingly so ineffective in impacting our world today? There can only be two answers. Personally, the claim of the doxology is false. 
God is neither able nor God is at work in us. That's one option. Or somehow the people of God have dropped the ball. Now, probably no surprise to you. I think it's probably the latter. It's most likely the second one. And if that is true and we want to change it, then what are we to do? Well, I think there's a clue in verse 21. Hasn't got the verse numbers there up to him. But I'll go from the comment. It says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And I think that little part of the verse is the clue for us. To me, this verse simply says the way forward, the way to experience God's strength, love and the fullness of life, the way to experience his immeasurable ability to bring about transformation in our community is to take the focus off ourselves and place it on him. In other words, the life and activity of the church should glorify God, which thankfully is thankfully something that you as a church really understand. Because I had a good look at your webpage this week and the first point on the webpage when I look at your mission statement is that Wangaratta Baptist exists to bring glory to God. So you get this. This is, this is stuff you, you really, really understand. I don't have to do too much work in relation to this, but we'll just sort of pat it out a little bit just to sort of, you know, just so, you know, you get your, your money's worth out of me coming up here, okay? <laughs> Let me, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> how many of you, this is a question, not a trick question. How many of you been part of a church, a real church, for more than six months? Not, it doesn't have to be just this church, but any church. Just raise your hand. Been part of a church for more than six months of your life. Pretty much everybody. Maybe there's an exception of one or two. So, you know how great the church is. You know that the church is fantastic. I love the church. And you love the church probably why you're here. But you're probably also, if you're realistic, know how messy and how broken and how inglorious the church can be. I reckon you would know that, right? So we all know to bring glory to God is something that is easier said than done. There's some, there's some work to be done in that from our end, some commitments that we make. The truth is we can't do this in our own strength. We need God to be continuously working in us uh, through his spirit, shaping us, moulding us to become more like him, to be holy as he is holy. But as I said before, we're not passengers on the train here. God's ways are for us to partner on the journey with him to transformation. So there are some things that we can do in our everyday life of, of the church, core commitments that we can hold on to that will glorify God and in turn allow us to experience the truth of this passage. And the first commitment is to, is to keep Jesus as the, at the centre. Jesus is Lord. The Jesus who lived, died and was raised again needs to be at the centre of our church, of our worship life and of our decision making. No matter what type of church we belong to or aspire to be, big church, small church, rich church, poor church, city church, rural church, country church, for us to truly glorify God and experience his transformational power, Jesus needs to be at the centre. Jesus, as Lord of our lives, is a central tenet of, of a Baptist understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
Sounds a bit simple, doesn't it? Sounds simple. But the truth is, church, in church life, it's very, very easy to get busy and to get distracted and to actually push Jesus to the margins of all the activity and all that we do in the life of the church. Let me give you just a few examples. This is from Paul speaking to the Galatian church. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul here is talking to the Galatian Christians, not a very old church at all. They're, they're actually on fire. They're following Jesus. But then some other characters come along and join the church, and we know them as the Judaizers, and they're saying this Jesus stuff is good. We're all for Jesus, but it's not enough. Jesus is not enough. You've got to add a, a few more regulations, a few more rules. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And Paul finds out about this. He says, what is going on with you people? What is going You're getting distracted by secondary things. That's not the gospel that you took hold of. That's the stuff that's going to hold you back. That's the stuff that's going to make you so sort of rigid that you're not going to be able to engage in the community. You're not going to be able to advance the kingdom. Get over that stuff. Get rid of that stuff. Cut it off, goes on to talk about. And then this is the resurrected Jesus talking to the very church that Paul is writing this letter to uh, in, in, in Revelation chapter 2. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have been tested. Oh, hard for me to read that. that. Your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have been tested, those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. So in other words, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, says to the Ephesians, just fantastic. You guys are awesome. You're doing a great job. And he commends them. He commends them for the great work that they're doing. What does he commend them for? For their deeds. This is an active church. They're really busy. They're out there. They're doing stuff. He commends them for their work, for their labour. They're, they're not just doing stuff. They're actually sacrificing. They're toiling away. This is, this is a slog for them. They're putting in, you know, putting in over and above for their patience. They're hanging in there. They're not sort of waiting for it to sort of, you know, just it'll happen overnight. We're just being patient. For their orthodoxy, they were pure and passionate about the truth and they didn't sway from the, like the Galatians, didn't sway from the, from the truth like them. And they persevered, they endured in the face of hardship because it was a difficult context in which they found themselves. A lot of opposition to, to, to their faith. And so the resurrected Jesus commends them. This is great. This is fantastic. But then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In other words, hey, you've pushed me to the edges and you're doing everything in your own strength. You're very competent, people, like a well-oiled machine. You don't even need me to do this stuff. And I've been deposed off the throne of your church because you're just doing it all in your own strength. When Jesus is at the margins, we can also lose perspective on the work of the gospel. 
We can, like the Ephesian church, tirelessly work away in our own strength and with our own wisdom and we can fall into the trap of putting all of our energy into secondary issues. I want to say to you, if Jesus is at the centre of, of, of the church, Jesus is the centre of the Baptist Union, if Jesus is truly Lord of who we are and what we do and we work out of his strength and we focus on his purpose, we, even when it comes to the controversial issues of our day, be they vaccine mandates, which is a controversial issue right at the moment, or other issues around sexuality or social issues, euthanasia or asylum seekers or authority or leadership or theological differences, a whole lot of stuff that we wrestle with as the church. But even if Jesus is at the centre, then we can address those issues from a God-centred perspective that will give God glory, that will give God glory. If we want to glorify God in the church, we must keep Jesus at the centre, the centre of our lives and the centre of our union with one another, with one another. When we glorify God, he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The second commitment that I think we can make practically to, to partner with God in this redemptive work is a commitment to mission and neighbourhood. We need to hold on to our, our, our commitment to mission in our neighbour. I want to define neighbourhood broadly, broadly for, for you here. For me, neighbourhood is twofold. It's twofold. First, it's around the geographical space when we're talking about the church and our facility. So the church is planted here, right here on this corner, right? So you are a witness to all the people around here. Whatever happens in this church, people leave, you know, dropping burnouts out here, all that. People are noticing this sort of stuff, right? Um, this facility, what goes on, what happens, who you invite people in, who you exclude, all this sort of stuff. This is part of your neighbour. We need to, a commitment to the people of the area to reveal the love and the compassion of Christ to them. Um, it's great then, that's why it's great to have a church facility. You, know, you can go online and all this sort of stuff, but nobody sort of notices you. you know, you're doing your own thing. You're sort of, sort of a little sort of Christian enclave and nobody can see what you're doing, and that's fine. But that's why facilities, having a facility, adds an extra burden, extra pressure when it comes to, to this. And, and it should be a benefit, not just to yourselves, but to the broader community. Secondly, neighbourhood, being on mission in the neighbourhood, is, is a commitment to the people where you are. So where you live, which may not be in this little area. Where you live, where you work, where you play, the sporting clubs you may engage in, whatever clubs you may engage in. Um, and I think this has been especially important through the period of um, uh, lockdowns and isolation and stuff. I don't know about what it was like up here, but we, we couldn't go more than 5Ks. Did you have that rule? Yes, 5Ks. Not very far when you live out here, is it? Like, you can't go very far. Um, but 5Ks, so you've, you're, you're, you're the witness to those in the place where you are. You can't travel here if it's more than 5Ks to be a witness to those, but to your neighbour and to the person up around the corner, to the people you walk past in, in the street. We need to be, keep reminding ourselves that we don't only exist for ourselves as the church, but also for our neighbours. Our local and our relational connections define our mission. This is why we have such a great diverse and different expressions of church life in our union. If you were to sort of 
sort of shadow me in the last 10 years and travel around the, the suburbs of Melbourne and the, and the country towns and the regional, regional centres right, right across the scope of, of Victoria, you will soon discover, and you probably already know this, that each suburb, each town has its un own unique culture, ethnic mix, need and needs and struggles and concerns. Sometimes there's incredible diversity even in one little suburb, one little, little town. Uh, and in that sense, we need different expressions of the church to reach our city and to reach our community. This is where things might then get a little bit threatening. If we have a commitment to our neighbourhood and we seriously want to advance the kingdom of God in our neighbourhoods, then we need to have a commitment to fruitfulness through our mission. And there are implications for that. And sometimes, and I think this is where COVID has actually helped a little bit, Sometimes for the church, it means looking firstly at some of our own programs and ditching those things that have been the lifeblood of the church in the, in the history, that have been absolutely fantastic and you love them, but they're really fruitless. They're not producing fruit for the kingdom of God. And it's actually taken stock and saying that that thing is not working. Now, a lot of churches I know in the last few years, we've been through this pruning stage where we were saying, okay, what is the core? What is important? What do we do? What do we not do? Because we can't do everything. But let's not come back and say, well, let's just keep doing those fruitless things now that we can. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. So there's implications for this if you truly, truly want to bless your neighbourhood. might be changing the way we meet in worship. That for some, that's it. But beyond it, it may be cooperating with neighbouring churches to be more effective in our community. And it may mean encouraging and supporting church plants, maybe not on the other side of town, maybe not on the, in the city, but maybe right next door, right next door. The truth is one church, our church, your church, cannot reach all the people even in this, your own neighbourhood. And if we truly love the people of our neighbourhood, truly want to reach them with the love of God, truly want to glorify God in the church, we need to be big enough and bold enough to support and allow other expressions of the church to share in mission of reaching our neighbourhood with us, be that next door or the next suburb or the next town or whatever it may be. Together with a commitment to fruitful mission, God is glorified in the church. And when God is glorified in the church, we see him do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. You know, I've seen this sort of stuff, you know, it just in, you know, we sort of do some experimenting with church plants in the Baptist Union and we've got some things wrong over the years because what we used to do is church planter would come like a missionary and say, I want to plant over here. And we'd support them and they fund them. They go out by themselves and they just don't last. They don't go the distance. It's too hard. They're by themselves. They're, they're isolated. We've learned now that, hey, you know, it takes, a, it takes a community. It takes like a village to do this. And we've got this new one down in Donnybrook which is sort of called Olivine, a whole new estate. It used to be like a, the country. Now it's like a suburb, <laughs> houses everywhere. I don't know how they built houses there because it's just full of rock, the ground out there. It's terrible. I don't know. But anyway, they do it. But anyway, what's happened there is Mill Park Baptist Church has sent one of their pastoral staff, their associate pastor, to, pl to, plant, to be a church planter with her, but to be placemakers. That is, they will build community. They'll do the community engagement. They'll do community work. Not, not necessarily, you know, they'll, they'll show the gospel, they'll, they'll 
share that they're Christians, they'll share their testimony, that, but they're not planning a church. They're doing the community work in conjunction with the church that's been started over here. And then there's a social enterprise running a cafe, all working together to advance the kingdom of God, to bless the neighbourhood, to help people encounter Christ. So we see this stuff happen. It's a community working together and people release, churches releasing people and what have you. The th- yeah. And so, so just, just really encourage you in, in relation to those things. The third commitment we need to hold to, and this is really, really important, I think, is unity, is unity in the church. As I said earlier in my message, one of the great distinctions of the, the Baptist Union of Victoria is our great diversity. Each one of our churches are different and unique. And as Baptists, we are committed to the primacy and autonomy of the local church. Now, what that means is that we believe a local church, so your church, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is competent to discern the mind of Christ, that you are competent to determine worship, your own worship style, choose your leaders, order uh, your, your, the church life and plan your ministry free from outside direction and control. As Baptists, we value this principle. You don't want me coming along saying, okay, yeah, you're doing it all wrong, do it this way, right? You'd say get lost. It's not, it's not who we are. It's not who we are as, as, as Baptists. But, 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 autonomy is not the same as independence. Sometimes I think Baptists, we confuse this, get ourselves confused by this, right? We also value the principle of voluntary association and the biblical mandate for unity in the church. It's interesting that following the doxology that we just read out before in Ephesians 3, this very large section of scripture, of teaching in chapter 4 on the unity of the church. Baptists have recognised the importance of association and being united in faith and on mission together from the beginning of our movement. In Victoria, about 150 years plus. plus. While local church, a local church can exercise all the functions of church life, there are times where cooperation and collaboration is beneficial. Times when we are better together. Now, that may be, like I talked about, a, a neighbourhood strategy for mission. Or it may be a deadlock in conflict. You believe, you know, occasionally churches are in conflict with one another. And sometimes it's better to cooperate with an outside voice to come and deal with that, that conflict. Um, past the calling of a new pastor. Uh, doctrinal accountability. Training pastors missionary endeavours, and on we could go. Times where an outside voice and cooperation is useful for advancing the kingdom of God and glorifying God. Sister churches, bound by covenant to associate, can strengthen each other. We've all heard said that we're better together, that we can achieve more together, that unity is strength both in the local church and in our relationships, our broader relationships, as the people of God, as Baptists in Victoria, together. The simple truth is we can achieve more together than we can by ourselves. That's why you're not an independent church, by the way, right? Not an indep- last I heard, you're not an independent Baptist church, but you're a Baptist Union church, which means that we're part of something else bigger for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of advancing God's, God's kingdom. Unity is strength. Unity is strength in our local church, our relationships together, we can do more together. When we are united, God is glorified and he does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The fact that we have Baptist organisations like BAPCARE, Whitley College, Global Interaction, Baptist World Aid, 
clearly is evidence of how much we can do together. I personally believe that whilst these expressions of Baptist cooperation and unity are fantastic and they do bring glory to God, it's not as if we've completed the task. It's not as if it's job done. We need to keep striving to cooperate and unite together, continue to be part of, of, of um, partnering with each other and with God in advancing his kingdom. Um, it may not necessarily be more agencies. It could be, but I think it's a bit simpler for the local church than starting new agencies and for the union starting new agencies. I think that if we, can if we, we, we continue to glorify God in the church and experience more of his transformational power through our cooperation in two simple ways, through conflict and through generosity. Let me start with conflict, right? Because I want to suggest that God is glorified in the church and union life, not through the absence of conflict. I know we like to avoid conflict, but I don't think God is glorified through the absence of conflict, but how we handle conflict, how we treat each other in the midst of conflict. The truth of the matter is that because of our great diversity, we're not always going to agree with one another. Even in the church, there's diversity here. You're not going to agree with one another. And we're not always going to agree with the sister churches and certainly you're not going to always agree with the Baptist Union, right? I've got the letters to prove it, right? <laughs> All right? That's okay, right? Take a chill pill, just relax. It's okay to disagree. It's not a problem. We don't always have to agree. Remember the story, a couple of characters in the Bible called Paul and Barnabas, right? They had, you know, the big plans to take on the world, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, uh, you know... Barnabas has this bright idea. He says, oh, let, let's take John Mark for the journey. Now, Paul had a little bit of experience with John Mark and said, he's a dud. I don't want to take him. He's a dud. This bloke, oh, no way in the world. And they have, the, they have this disagreement. Was it a serious disagreement? Yes, it was a serious disagreement. They went their separate ways. It was so serious. It was a serious disagreement. But what didn't happen in that disagreement? Let me tell you what didn't happen. They didn't label each other. Right? You don't read about Paul and Barnabas and Barnabas saying Paul's this and Paul's that. And Paul's saying Barnabas this and that. They didn't label each other. They didn't demean or belittle each other. They didn't gossip about each other. Did you know about Paul? Oh, sheepers, creepers. You know, like, can you believe it? You don't even like John Mark. Like, no forgiveness. Where's his heart, this bloke? Didn't know none of that. Didn't write nasty letters. Paul wrote a few nasty letters. <laughs> really, Galatians, it wasn't real kind. But it was a they're not nasty letters about each other. Didn't cite scripture to prove their point. Didn't conspire with affinity groups against each other. They did none of that. Glorifying God in the church, in our union, is not the absence of conflict. With a union as diverse as ours, with a church, any church, with more than two people, there's always going to be conflict. Difference of opinion, challenges, struggle, different approaches, different ideas. It's not about the absence of conflict, but how we handle it. In the story of Paul and Barnabas, Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes another, but the mission continues and even multiplies. And we know they get together later as reconciliation, all that stuff, which just goes to show that conflict, while not ideal, we don't want to go run around looking for it, handled well can bring glory to God and more can come out of it than we can imagine. Now, the second part of unity I want to talk about is generosity. Is generosity. 
There are many ways in which we can be generous towards one another. Here are just a few. With our words. Generosity is not just about cash, right? It's, it's our words. How we, do we use our words to build people up or to tear people down? Do we use our words to share hope and vision or misery and struggle and blame? Our words are important. So let's be generous with our words. That brings unity. Resources, programs, staff, money. Generous. Generous with these sorts of things. So, so you know, as I've talked about before, churches have been generous when it comes to church planting. Churches have released people, released some of their leaders, given money. So churches have also, I've seen churches be, be generous towards, you know, Baptist World Aid when the Christmas appeal and things like that. Generous towards the poor. This is stuff that brings unity. Generous with people, as I talked about, church plants, knowledge, passing on expertise and experience. So some more senior pastors, senior leaders, mentoring others. But not only pastors, like every, everybody here, everybody here, you have something to offer to other people, something that you can give out of your wisdom, out of the experiences of life that you've had. Be generous with that stuff. Be generous. It unites the church and property, property. And, we, and you know, I put this one in here because... It's maybe not, you know, generous. How do you use your property? Do you use it with a sense of generosity, especially when it comes to reaching the community? Not necessarily giving it away for people to, for nothing, so they come and thrash and you've got got to pay the bills to fix it all up. But but using it in a constructive way for the community is is a generous thing to do and not just for what rent you can get and all this sort of stuff. But think about how this property is used. I think that's, that's it. But for some churches, you know, they're tiny. They come down to five people, six people, ten people. They'd be better off just meeting in someone's backyard or in their kitchen than having a big building. Some of them got buildings bigger than this. There's five of them sitting in the front row, actually, probably five spread all over the place. <laughs> you know, like, just come on. Come on, that's not advancing the kingdom. Generosity advances the kingdom. We need to do that. I just want you to imagine with me the impact it would have if the church here, right here in Wangaratta and other churches of the northeast of Victoria here, and then the broader churches of the Baptist Union Victoria, maybe even other denominations. I can't speak for them, but let's just include them. We truly strive to implement these principles in our personal lives, in our local church, and our cooperation with other churches. Imagine if Jesus was truly, not just in our minds, not just theologically, but truly the centre of all we did, Lord of our lives, Lord of the church, that he was the filter we passed all our decisions through. Imagine that we shared a cooperative approach with other churches to reaching our neighbourhoods for Christ. Imagine if we truly, truly strive for unity in our conflicts and through the use of our resources. Imagine the impact. I personally think, if we took this seriously, it would be profound. It would be profound. In fact, I think the result would be that God would be glorified in the church and he would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. New churches would be popping up everywhere. Existing churches would be full to the brink. People would be coming to faith. The church would rise up as one voice against injustice. Just imagine that. Well, it can be done. Together we can advance the kingdom of God. But as is always in the scripture, as we see, it starts with us. It starts with repentance and faith.
Repentance from our self-centeredness, our independence, and our repentance from pushing Jesus to the margins and placing our faith in the God of the impossible, believing his promise, holding on to the hope that he offers. God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, but he wants you and me. He wants the church to partner with him, to join with him in his work, his redemptive work in advancing the kingdom of God. When we do that, God is glorified and he does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this word from the scripture. We thank you that it actually is a great challenge as much as it is a great affirmation of faith. And I pray, Lord, that in, in all of our humanness, as we struggle with wanting to bring you, you glory, mentally assent to glory, we pray that in our humanness that you, through your spirit, will work in us to bring this sense of togetherness in the church here at Wangaratta, this sense of uh, commitment to you at the centre of, of this place, commitment to the neighbourhood in, in, in reaching out, and commitment to, to unity, that we handle the challenges of church life and community life and the difficulties that brings with grace and that we are generous towards one another with all that we do and all that we say. I pray, Lord, for your blessing upon this church that indeed it will be a light for the, for the region and for the city of Rangarata. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.